Karis Kemp. I am the associate pastor here at Bethel Presbyterian Church in Cornelius, North Carolina. And this is week two of our podcast, Discipleship for the Decades. I'm here with our youth pastor, Jeremy Churchill, who I believe there's a relation between you and Winston. I'm also here with Pastor Tom Boone, who I believe there's a relation with Daniel Boone, right? You both have famous people as part of your Mm -hmm. storyline. I can't claim you? that. I can't, I can't claim that. My oh. my claim to fame was the great outdoors. My small second of being an extra in a movie. Also know that it's Daniel Boone, not Daniel. Daniel. Ooh. Daniel. Ooh. And the more time you spend in the Appalachian Mountains up in Boone, you'll see Daniel Boone Daniel. in mm-hmm. the Daniel Boone restaurant. I am so glad that I spoke that out loud on our podcast and was was corrected. You will never hear me say that poorly ever again. Daniel Boone. <laughs> Daniel <Daniel-Boon>. Boone. <laughs> Well, Tom, this past Sunday, you challenged us to think about the theme of shalom for the Mm -hmm. margins. And you also hinted about this Sunday, um, this idea of shalom for the advantage. But this week, I want to talk about your summary of your your big ideas from this past week and knowing that we're getting to the advantage. But today, today we're talking about the margins. Thanks, Karis. And as I went through the series and kind of plotted through what we need to talk about and what the Holy Spirit was really trying to say to Bethel with with the whole series, I could not get to get through the series without looking at uh, the abundance of evidence that that Jesus himself gives us, that he was was there to bring the peace of God, the shalom of God, uh, to folks who are in the quote-unquote margins. And what we've got in this passage from Matthew chapter 8 is a great example. You've got a leper that needs to be healed. Jesus heals him. And you've got a Roman guard who uh, was very marginalized for the people of Israel. That They kind of viewed them as the spawn of Satan. Uh, and there was just no regard for them. So the, these were people who were in the margins for the Jewish community. Uh, and so... Th- wanted to look at that, and then I thought about uh, what to, to emphasize. Don, I mean, that passage doesn't need any unpacking. We know that really well. But the blind spot that really popped out to me was that, hey, if Jesus is fixing people, then we should be fixing people too. And I, and I felt like, hey, that, there's the blind spot to address. Uh, so I wanted to do that, and I, and I felt like it was important to bring out that we God doesn't call us to fix people, but very much like uh, we have with Noah and the ark, right? You know, there's that, that God pr- brought the storm. He allowed that storm to happen, but he brought the ark. He, he allowed there to be a haven, and that gets to some of the root words there. So rather than fixing problems, we're there to be a haven for people. And so the blind spot is, how do I approach my relationship with people who are in my margins in a way that honors the relationship, the integrity of them as being part of the image of God, not as problems to be fixed. And, and I think that that takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of reforming of my own understanding of, what, what, of who I am because I'm in their margins, right? Um, and so, so I, I thought the good takeaway there was really to be humble people of God, praying that God would reverse our understanding of what it means to come alongside of people, to value the relationship, one of our values, biblical relationships with authenticity. How do we plug that in, especially as we, as a congregation, move more aggressively out to the margins and seek to impact local 
families for you know in in Christ's name. So that that's where I that's the takeaway I think. Well, and I realize that the words marginalization and advantage often need some unpacking, right? So um, just knowing that we're saving advantage, focusing on margins, what what do you think of when you hear the word margins? And and I, you know, as I think of just the idea of, of there's an area of focus and then the fuzzy stuff outside of my focus is margin. So that's a picture that comes to my mind. Jeremy, what would you say to that? Well, it's interesting. My first thought was thinking about a paper or a book, right, where you're focusing on the text in the middle, and then there's this portion of the outside that you don't even probably realize is there most of the time, and it's different sizes, and, you know, we just get to where we don't even realize that that's a thing anymore. Um, but where I went next was thinking to a real-life encounter I had recently, uh, where most of you, at least if you're connected with Bethel, knew that we collected and sent out 30 plus, I think it was like 36 or nine meals um, to our community uh, Thanksgiving meals through the Neighborhood Care Center. And so I was asked to drive the church bus, help collect. And so we went to what I view as the margins of Cornelius. I don't think we often, whether we want to think about the fact that they're the margins or we just want to forget that they're there, Smithville is the margins. And seeing some of the sights and sounds and, and hearing the sounds and being amongst those folks who, for the most part, are super joyous. They were so thankful uh, for us coming, but they're like a mile down the road, right? And we're like, they're not lakefront, yeah, okay. You know, it's almost like there's this, the two sides of Cornelius. Um, and so it really got me thinking like, okay, Neighborhood Care is doing great stuff and maybe what I consider the margins of Cornelius, but we have got to remember that they're there. They are brothers and sisters in Christ, and if they're not, they need to be. And so what can we do? So that was kind of my real life, like, hey, uh, we're in Smithville. Like, I don't drive through there, right? I, I just most of us don't have a need to, right? Most of the streets are dead ends. We can't snow cut through, so it's, I don't know. It was interesting to to be amongst those folks and and to put some real faces to who we consider Smithville, right? We put it in quotes. It's not quotes. It's there. They're real people. There's a real community there. Some margins of, of yeah, our circle of Cornelius, perhaps. And, yep. you know, I would say anybody who's not lakefront would be would feel marginalized. They don't have the water right there. So there's there's a margin of people who are more landlocked. You know, we, we can take margins in so many different directions. But, Tom, sure. where do you take it when you hear the word margins? I th granted, my perspective is shaped globally. Um, I think we're in the margins <laughs> for most of the world. Uh, and you know, we have this saying that whenever we host uh, international students, we're reminded of it every summer that they're with us. First world problems, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you, know, you get teased for that a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. we do yeah. a lot, and 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 we do have these things that are unique to being in the first kind of having first world problems, having you know problems that come, for example, because we own a car. You know, maybe it well, because we have video cameras and all these equipment. You know, we have a problem because our internet went down. Well, okay, that's a first world problem. 
Uh, we have and, to turn the page on the book because we can't tap it on our screen right, right on our right. Kindle. You know, yeah. and, and so I think it, it helps me, first of all, to, to, to say, hey, I, I approach this whole conversation as one who is not in the major- that is not in the majority. Sometimes if we I think globally. Globally. Yeah, yeah. But even I think here. Uh, How you do know, you feel marginalized here? Well, I think as as you know, as I go into a tent city with Heath Burchett, and I hear some of the conversations and the real conversations, the 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 real problems that people deal with. Those aren't my problems, but most of the people I think around us have those problems, uh, and. And there's a humility there. So again, I I think we are in very much in a bubble here. And I think it's important not to be ashamed of that, but to realize that. Well, and often we we paint the picture of the disadvantaged as the marginalized. And I think what I'm hearing you saying is it it can be that way. And it can also be this understanding of marginalization is partially based on what population you're talking about and what Mm -hmm. the what the majority kind of worldview is in that place and in that context. So it's broader than we understand. It's not just this slice of the downtrodden. And, right. Right. And um, I would say how hard, uh, well, well, in that context, it's not that hard for us to relate to marginalization, but is there a story where you felt marginalized recently? Is there something that would kind of help us understand this concept of marginalization in a broader sense? Yeah, that's interesting. I um, and it's funny we had some conversations before we even got rolling. There were some good ones, um, and I, I I think we don't. You're right. We don't realize that marginalization is specific to a group, right? So, like, you know, you heard me mention last week Anne and I going through infertility. Um, Karis made this point, so I'll give her the credit, but I'll say it since it applies to me, right? But um, this idea that anytime we're in a situation, Anne and I, where people are talking about kids or having kids or we see pictures, right, we feel marginalized because we can't, right, physically can't. We need science to help us. Um, I would never in my imagination thought of it that way, so I was glad that Karis pointed that out earlier. This idea, I, I always just go to their people that are worse off than me, um, just whether it's financially, spiritually, whatever. And sometimes we forget about them and those people. And, and you're, right, you're absolutely right. That's the folks. There, there is a subset of that. But then to put myself into, oh, wait, I am marginalized in certain situations. Um, so that was tough for me. Um, but putting it in a context like that, I go, oh, wait a minute. I can relate to this because, um, again, it's something that's happening right this moment. Um, something that hits home specifically emotionally, um, but yeah, it, it's not easy or it wasn't easy. It just it's it's a pivot, I think, a mindset shift, if you will. To think of it in that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, one of the thoughts that came up as I was chewing on this was Christians they often feel the tension between faith and work, and I think some of that came alive in this in this uh, discussion from Sunday uh, when it comes to shalom for the margins. There's a compulsion if we think of the margins as the disenfranchised or less than the power, right? Here's the margins, that there is that tension of I want to do work to fix whatever is keeping you on the margins and I want to bring you into 
this realm of where I am. And, and that's another perspective that can be pushed back on, right? This yeah. sense of we, we want justice, we want people to feel like our normal. But right. that's not always where God wants them, and that's not always where, where they should be, right? Uh, so maybe, Tom, you could speak to this well, sense of faith and works and our compulsion to feel like we want to fix things. So a good example in the pastor seminar we're working through has been great to help us unpack some things that are some discussions, particularly around race, uh, that are going on in our society right now. But two of the people we have in that seminar, one is from Nicaragua and one is from Uganda. And our Ugandan friend, Dixon, reminded us all when we were talking about race and, you know, are we, you know, how are we really a horrible people? And, you know, we're really having this painful conversation. He, pa he pushed the pause button and, and I thought said something very interesting. He said, what you all aren't, rem no, what you all need to remember is that there's a history of this in Africa too. And, and he said, the, the, People who made a lot of money off of this were the tribe, tribal chiefs in Africa. And he, he says it wasn't just you bad and white people. And when you people. say this, what are you, what are you referring About to? About slavery. Slavery. Thank slavery. you. Slavery. Okay. Yeah. And, and he says, you know, he's, he's confounded that when, as we talk about that issue here, about race, that we keep going back to that space as a, sport, as a, as a space of shame he said, but we have it in Africa, too, because many people made a lot of money off of the slave trade because they agreed to trade with the white people from Europe. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought that was very helpful. Uh, and, and so what does that have to do with the question now? Um, the, the, when we talk about margins, I think it's important to bear in mind that we can be in each other's margins. And the, the solving the problem is, is more about understanding and the dialogue. Uh, otherwise, we have this, this very tunnel-visioned approach to our experience, or, or we let people say, here's what your experience should be and how it should be interpreted when really what we need to do, and I think this is something part of, you know, staff, we see this dynamic in our families, we really need to do more sitting down and dialoguing. And rather than fix our problems, we need to understand each other's experience as we go through this, this piece of life and hear from one another. And I think that is a piece there that for me has come out of the seminar that I would want to speak to. Um, if I could just go one minute more or so, one of the things that came up after George Floyd was, well, we need to worship with another black community. We need to, we need to, that, it was like this immediate, how do we fix this problem? And we decided not to go that road. Instead, we decided to really look at it and say, okay, what are the voices, what are the, what are the alternative voices that we need to listen to rather than step right into a solution. And I have found that that has been much more formational uh, as opposed to just quickly going and say, okay, we're gonna do a community worship service with, with a black congregation. That's not really what they're looking for. 
It's not good for us. Dialogue, understanding, coming alongside, working together, hearing each other's story, and and letting the Holy Spirit lead. It's interesting because so, I re- yeah. I remember that conversation. Yeah. Um, and I and it felt to me like we were jumping into something that maybe wasn't right. We needed to understand. Do we, do y'all ever feel like we try to fix things? that don't need fixing because we don't understand the situation enough. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what well, we're saying? And I think yeah. that's exactly what we're saying. And, yeah. and uh, that there's, there's this impulse in us to, okay, this seems like the right idea. This is the Band-Aid. This is the fix that will kind of make it, I don't know, it's surfacy, right? And you're saying the issue is deeper. And I was thinking about um, back in, in Denver when I was on staff of a, a church a long, long time ago, Ernest Young 20-something in ministry, and I started getting involved with a homeless organization called Network Coffee House, and mm-hmm. I was invited to come down. And so I'm the do-gooder coming in. Uh-huh. I want to help solve these people's problems. I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to see miracles. And you'll find when you're in homeless ministry, it's messy. It's 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 work that is messy work because just like broken people are in the church, broken people are on the streets. But we're there's brokenness everywhere. It's messy. So I started behind the coffee bar, right? There was a coffee bar, and I felt like that can be my job. I'm going to pour the coffee, and those who want to talk to me, it felt safe. Okay. So what the, where the real stories were happening was in the coffee house, where I would sit down and started to play cards with these people. And I started to realize my job is not to fix them. My job is to sit here and play cards with them, have a cup of coffee, find out their story, share my story. So truly, there became relationships over six years of ministry there where people came to my engagement party who were part of the network Homeless Coffee House who, when Randy and I got married, they came and celebrated because we had built a relationship Mm -hmm. and I hadn't fixed their problem and they hadn't fixed my problem, (laughs) but we were in relationship. And so as I was thinking about your your blind spot and stepping stone, it seemed a little counterintuitive. Like, so wait, as a blind spot, you're saying that our tendency to want to fix things, we should push back on that a little bit. And then this idea of we want to be um, teva, we want to be shelter, these Hebrew words you talked about, what does that look like? What does that mean? And, and so that's the story that came to my mind as I was that's thinking great. about what that. That's great. What a great story. Yeah. Yeah. But I should have turned to you and said, Karis, you've got something to <laughs> share with us. <laughs> well, and I think that's the thing. And that's where the tension I felt leaving the the sermon on Sunday was, well, hang on, we do want to fix things. Like we do want justice and we do want people to have restored homes and we want them to not be addicted. You know, all of things, these things that we want. So we, there is this desire in us to work. But is it our job to fix it or is it the Lord's? And that's where I would, that, that for me is much more where it's at. Um, I have a great, a friend who's from Central Asia and he said it to me several times. And I finally think I understood it. My job is not to, to lead people to a church. My job is to let bring people to Jesus, and then I let the Holy Spirit lead them to a church. And, and so often we, it's, that, it's that I'm supposed to be communicating Christ to somebody in that moment, and then let God finish that work. And we do that with our kids all the time. Um, we do it with our parents. Those of us who are dealing with parents who... who are making baffling decisions at the end of life, and you're like, Ugh. Um, but it's not my job to fix you. How do I be a sh- place of shalom 
as you wrestle through all that. Um, and let God have the credit that way, as opposed to me. Yeah. And, and that, that's a battle. You're right. I want to hear a little bit from Jeremy because you have your finger on the pulse of youth and marginalization. Yeah. And what does this mean for your ministry context? And what do you, how would kids wrestle with marginalization, wanting to fix things, but also um, being that shelter for people? It's interesting, and I think, you know, Tom, I think you've mentioned that your seminar has talked about this. It seems like this generation, Gen Z, um, 1990, or it might be in the 2000s. I don't know where that starts, maybe early 2000s. But uh, they seem to get this understanding of what it means for folks to be marginalized and, and how to come alongside them. I don't know. They they have this understanding that it's really difficult, at least for me, to put into words. Um, but they they understand this idea of seeking first to understand rather than to be understood. And so I think that's one of the powers of social media, right? Everybody is media now. If you've got a social media account, you are now media. Um, and that's hard for us to grasp sometimes. And there's a heavy weight, but that's part of why things get skewed so much, right? Because someone posts something and everyone thinks that it's the truth, even though they're not necessarily, it, it may or may not be. I, I like the fact that fact checking is going on, but I think the kids see through that. The teenagers understand there are people in this world that need help and they're going to find a solution, a deeper, not surface level solution to fix the whole problem as opposed to putting a Band-Aid over something. That's what I see from them is they want to get to the root of the problem, the root of why is someone marginalized, how do we fix it. I, I, I don't know. It's something deeper, and that's what we try to help them kind of formulate in their head is what is this, what is this idea, how do we take it deeper much, much deeper than just some surface level. Um, it's much more than just going and, Tom, we've said this many times, it's much more than just going and making a sandwich, right? It's got to be much deeper than that. I think it's the relational piece. Um, for me, at least, that's what I tried, we try really hard to instill in them is this relational aspect that we can't, we're not going to fix it, but it starts with authentic relationships, which is one of our core values here. Um, and if we're not authentic, then um, that that's, I think, what really is the turning point. And, and they do a good job, maybe even a little too much, too <laughs> more, authentic. More authentic. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess as a wrap-up question, um, you know, what, how, how are we living this right now, right here? Maybe a quick 30 seconds from each of us. What, what's our personal uh, blind spot, stepping stone, thought as we, as we leave this podcast? Well, I mean, it's clearly a, a challenge for me as a leader uh, who sees problems uh, and has a sense God's made me into a reformer. That's kind of my, that's very much part of my DNA, my makeup. God made me that way and I embrace it. So I see what is a problem and I kind of have a good sense pretty quick. Here's how to fix it. And so I have to fight that all the time um, from every level, with staff, with, with session, um, with the larger congregation, with a person one-on-one, -on -one, wanting to know, hey, fix their problem. 
So I think it's that that's a challenge for me. Uh, and but I've learned um, to listen is more valuable and more instructive for me. So uh, that's kind of a takeaway for me. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I think I find myself. I mean, I'm exactly kind of where Tom's at, but I find myself um, realizing that I can't. I, I have to rely heavily on God to provide peace for me so that I can be that shalom for others, right? And so that's where I find myself as like, okay, when we're talking about how to be a shelter or peace for the marginalized, whatever that context that looks like, we've got to be getting peace in in order to give peace out. Um, let him fill up the cup so it runs over for others to be able to take from. So that's, that's like, a great point. I'm yeah. just like working really hard to make sure that I'm getting that kind of heavenly, holy peace, right? That true shalom from God to then be able to pass it on, whether it's to the teens, to the staff, right? Which to suggests, Jeremy, that perhaps you have times where you are the marginalized, you are the wreck that needs that shalom, right? <laughs> I am the wreck yes. that needs that shalom. I certainly uh, have, have my moments of that, but realizing what a gift it is when people are that for you. And I um, I'll just wrap up with this story. There's a woman from church who invited me to her favorite thrift store just yesterday. And it was truly this bit of shalom for me because as a newcomer to the area, I'm on the margins. I don't know where the good places to shop are yet. I don't have a dentist here or an orthodontist for my kids or any of that. But when people come alongside and say, hey, Karis, let's go shopping to my favorite thrift store, um, that was, you know, it doesn't seem like, oh, is that God's ministry? It was to me in that moment of, hey, I've got a girl who is showing me her, her favorite thrift store, and that was this Teva concept for me. So realizing that I, I am sometimes the marginalized, but I also can be that, that Teva, and it doesn't have to be this, I'm going to lay this deep theology on you right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's taking a walk or going yeah, shopping with right. someone. It's, right? not, it's not super high church, right? Yeah, it's yeah. going out on the lake. It's, yeah, it's very simple things. We often, and I, we could go on for a whole another 30 minutes on this, but I often feel like we feel like church or our faith or the works that we do have to be this big grand thing and God's going to do great stuff. And it's like, no, it can be something super well, simple. And that's, that's the segue to this sermon. The next week. Okay. Give us because the give us the next Because from the advantage perspective, that's exactly how we think. Yeah. Right? We we think out of our advantage. We think out of our abundance. We think out of our training. We think out of all these things that God has given us and blessing. And we assume, hey, you want that too. When when really it's about something much more simple. And I think that's 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 the shalom for the it's Zacchaeus, it's Zacchaeus meeting Jesus in a random encounter, and it changes his whole perspective, and it wasn't anything fancy. Yeah. And, and, and so I think what, that's what we want to do this Sunday is explore, okay, how do we experience that as, as, as among the advantaged of this world? How do we experience that shalom for ourselves? And it's in the simple stuff. Well, thank you both for a fun conversation. We don't script this. We don't know no. where it's going. Uh, and that's part of the fun. And hopefully you've enjoyed the ride with us as well. So tune in again next week for week three, Discipleship for the Decades from Bethel Church. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>